Hello, welcome to the Blue Grid podcast. This is your host, Major Ani Fedotova, a psychologist at Los Angeles Air Force Base. What makes us resilient? What is grit? Please join me as I set out to discover how we can become grittier. This podcast features current and former military leaders, mental health experts, elite athletes, veterans, special operators, superior performers, POWs, and others affiliated with the military who have overcome significant adversity. Each guest will discuss the unique methods and practices to help airmen and really all service members or anyone interested to build mental toughness and grit. The views expressed are those of the author or guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the United States government. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. This is Blue Grid Podcast, episode 28. I am in Colorado Springs, and I am with Lieutenant Lindy Jones. She is an Olympic trials qualifier in marathon and had an incredibly strong run last month in Atlanta. She's the part of the world-class program in the Air Force and lives and trains in Colorado Springs. And we just came back from a very unpleasant cold run with a little bit of snow. It's 33 degrees outside. Thank you so much, Lindy, for coming out here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Definitely. We chatted a little bit on the run, and you are a part of the WCAP program. For those service members who don't know what that is, can you tell us about the program? The World Class Athlete Program is an amazing opportunity given by the Air Force where any Olympic sport, anyone who has a qualifying time or qualifies for Olympic trials in an Olympic sport can train full-time two years, which will count towards your service commitment. You can train at the location of your choice. And for me, Colorado Springs is definitely the best because it definitely benefits the distance runner with the altitude and it's also gorgeous place to train. So feel super blessed to be training out here and definitely thankful to the Air Force for this amazing opportunity. Yeah. How did you find out about this? I had a teammate who was a few years older than me on my cross-country team. I ran cross-country and track at the Air Force Academy and he had gotten on the program and he was actually training with my coach at the time at the academy. So he would come to our practices sometimes and be kind of like a volunteer assistant coach. And I thought that was really cool how he was able to just train full time. And because not many people are given the opportunity to do that, especially because professional runners aren't the highest paid professional athletes in the world. So yeah, it's definitely a cool opportunity. And I'm just really grateful that I got it. And so it's been now about six months you've been? No, it'll be two years. Oh, wow. Okay. And then you said you have orders in August. I have orders in August to Dias Air Force Base, where my husband flies to C-130. Okay. We'll probably be jumping a little bit, but first of all, congratulations on your amazing run in Atlanta. So just everybody knows, Lindy qualified for her Olympic trials on the very first marathon, which ran in Chicago. And she qualified as standard A, which she'll explain to us what that means, and had an amazing, amazing run in Atlanta. If that's okay, can we jump into your running oh, career yes, right course. away? Typically, there's two standards, and the A standard is obviously faster than the B standard. But what comes with the A standard is 
the difference is that whoever gets the aid standard will get their travel paid for to the Olympic trials and meals and just accommodated very well. And then for a B standard qualifier would probably just have to pay their own way. However, Atlanta promised each and every qualifier A and B that they would pay their way or give them $300 towards a flight or pay for a single man hotel. So that was super generous of Atlanta. And they also promised bottles to every qualifier. So for the women, it was over 400 athletes. So there was about 32 stations of tables of bottles. It was the most bottles ever set out on a course by any race ever. Because so, there's so many women. There's so many women. Because typically in the past, there's only been about probably less than 200 on the men and women's side who compete in the Olympic trials for the marathon. But this year it was over 400 on the women's side and the men still only had about 200. But in my opinion, the women are just <laughs> a force of strength. I think there's just so many inspiring women who have just made the trials and people who work full time and who are mothers. And before the race, there was a tent where all the athletes kind of convene and just like shed their sweatpants and whatnot and like get ready to go to the starting line. And there was actually a mother breastfeeding in the tent. Wow. I thought that was pretty. It's incredible. You know, like I feel like I can't ever make an excuse to not get training in because these people, you know, they're working nine to five jobs and getting training in, you know, there's mothers getting training in. So it was super inspiring to me. As we talked earlier on the round today, you said that you think that women are getting faster. And are there any other reasons you think that there's so many women compared to men? I think women have really come together. I think social media has actually had a positive impact on the women's running community because I feel like professional athletes who are women have become more accessible and are kind of like sharing what they do. And it's really nothing crazy. They're working hard, you know, but I think women kind of see that and think like, oh, I can do that too. You know, maybe not as high as a level as the Olympian, but I think that women have just kind of come together and really as in the last five years, there's become running groups that are forming instead of people training individually. I think there's a lot of clubs that are forming and people are just working together. It's definitely a good way to get faster and just better yourself to be training with other people and they'll push you. And even if you don't want to run, they'll encourage you to get out there and keep you accountable. Yeah. And I can attest to that. I train with some incredible women. And I mean, every day there is somebody to run with and that's very encouraging. So for you, you live with a roommate who's also a runner and you moved to Colorado because you wanted to train with your old coach, Lisa. My old coach, Coach Cole, he coached me at the Air Force Academy. He's an incredible 10K coach. Then Lisa Rainsberger, she lives in the Springs and she has a club out here called Cogapelli. It's actually just a club for elementary through high school kids. And 
I knew she had won the Boston Marathon and she had won Chicago Marathon twice. And this is about 20, 25 years ago, but I mean, she's still really fit. I knew that I wanted to go up to the marathon. So I reached out to her and she agreed to train me. And I think it definitely was a good decision because track, in my opinion, is harder than the marathon, which is probably a hot take. But I think just the quicker repeats, they're just tough. In a marathon, you really should be comfortable at least the first 10 to 13 miles you should be feeling like it should In be control. easy control mm-hmm. yeah it's just kind of like a slow pain which i think i'm just better at the long endurance stuff than just quick turnover but i'm 25 so i want to stay on the track as long as i can but i also just really love the marathon so it's something i think i'll be doing for a long time Lisa trains you currently. Do you do most of your runs by yourself or alone or, you know, you have some type of ratio or secret? And the reason that I'm asking this, because for me, it really makes a big difference to know that I'm not going to be there by myself, you know, at six in the morning or at five in the morning. No, I'm definitely someone who doesn't like to run. I mean, sometimes I like to run alone, but most of the time I really just enjoy running with other people and chatting, especially if it's an easy run. It's kind of like a therapy session almost. I love running with friends and really anybody. Just meeting new people in the spring, running with, I'll run with anybody. (laughs) Because I think it's just fun to chat and not even have to talk. I think it just helps to have someone there. And, And then for workouts, most of the time I'm working out alone. My coach will be there. And for those who are not runners, workouts are still runs. Workouts are like quicker things that I'll go on the track and do 800s or mile repeats. But just an easy run is just kind of 8 to 10 miles, just not super hard. Anywhere from 7-minute pace to 8.30 pace sometimes. And then the workouts are quicker. And in the fall, I was training with the Army some army WCAP people. There's one woman, um, her name is Elvin and she's actually from Kenya. Um, she's super, super fast, way faster than I am. And even though she was a lot faster than I was, it still helped to do workouts with her because we would do long runs together. And I would just try to stay with her as long as I could because <laughs> we'd be going over these hills and it was so hard and she was so sweet. She would just encourage me and like she could have just left me way sooner a lot of times, but she encouraged me and just helped me so much. She's definitely the reason that I was able to run so fast at Chicago. She really was definitely there for me. Did she also qualify? She is actually a 10K runner. Oh. Yeah, she's super fast. So (laughs) she runs for Army WCAP. Did you say that your slow, your easy pace is 7.30 to 8? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just a slow, slow <laughs> pace, easy run for Olympic yeah. trial qualifier, 7.30 to 8-minute mile. Uh-huh. <laughs> Again, so for those who are not runners, could you tell us your times for Chicago and then for Olympic trials and kind of where you set? I know you said standard A, but again, what does it mean in terms of time? The Olympic A standard for the marathon is 2.37, so two hours and 37 minutes. In Chicago, I ran... 
236.59. So wow, <laughs> I squeaked up. I yeah. So I had been running about six minute pace the entire marathon, and I knew it was going to be really really close to me getting the A standard. And I had done a lot of speed work prior to the Chicago marathon. I knew Lisa, my coach, knew what she was doing, but I'm like, why am I doing speed work for marathon training? But honestly, it came in clutch at the end because I ran like 540 my last mile. And I never even run 26 miles before, but I think I was able to do that because of the speed work I had done. And I was able just to get a good turnover even at mile 26. I looked at your splits um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I saw your first mile you picked up. Yeah. And I also, I love the Chicago Marathon because you start with men, it's men and women combined at the start. And so there's a lot of men that you can run with as well. Whereas like New York City Marathon, it's like elite men will start and then it'll be a while and then elite women will start be a while and then like the rest of the corrals will start. And the Chicago, it's like all one. So I really like that about it. Because there's a lot of people to work with. And even at the last, like the last 200 meters, you know, it feels like slow motion. But I, yeah, I was like running as hard as I could. And there's a guy right next to me. And he was like, let's effing go. Like, let's go. Like, I wasn't, I was, could not, I did not have energy to like respond to him. But like, he gave me this huge hug at the end. And I barely even remember that because I, like, I was so tired. But it was an incredible experience. It was definitely an amazing first marathon because the weather was perfect. Didn't have any GI issues. My husband was there. My dad was there. My mom was there. And yeah, it was just like something I'll never forget. Did you think that you would be qualifying for Olympic trials? I know some people train specifically for that. And yeah. for others, it just sort of happens. And the way your story looks, you just sort of ran and fell into that. Yeah, well, that was the goal to qualify for Olympic trials because the B standard is 245, which is 617 pace. And I knew coming up here that our training in the springs, my coach was telling me that with the altitude, training at altitude, it gives you at least... 15 seconds leeway like you think that you're running like 615 but you're really running six minute pace so it's like that much of a jump because of the altitude training the altitude just gives you such an advantage did you want to become an olympian as a kid i knew that i loved running but it never was something that i thought i would be doing professionally or at a high level later. I knew that I was good at it. I won, you know, state championships as a single division school. So it's like, it wasn't that hard to do because it was 1A. So it wasn't like I was winning 5A championships. I mean, I knew that I was good and I wanted to do well. I actually, it was kind of disheartening because I wanted to be an All-American in college, and I never got that. I never went to NCAAs. I mean, I went to the regional meet two times in track, and I my favorite running memory is that I was the captain of the cross-country team that went to NCAA, the cross-country championship. So I never For the first time, yeah. Yeah, the first time, yeah. yeah. And I never had qualified in track individually, but I did go to nationals and cross-country. 
are there still dreams to become an Olympian? Yeah, I know there's a lot more in me to run. I definitely want to get in the 220s marathon, I love 220 it. Yeah. range, and just see how far I can take it. I take running seriously. It's my job right now, but it's just running. You know, it's. <laughs> I think just having gone through my dad passing away recently and my husband deploying, I think you kind of realize what really is truly important. And running is important to me, but it's not the most important. So I definitely love it and will keep training hard. But I definitely think just my relationships and just my faith are the most important things to me. And then running is kind of second. That's interesting to hear for somebody who's so driven. Yeah. And, and running. And then you say that's really your job right now. Yeah, it is my job. Would you say that's your most important identity or or not, based on what um, you just told me? I think just as a Christian and as a daughter of Jesus Christ, like that's my identity that I want to carry and just loving others. I don't want to be remembered as just a good runner, you know. Like mm-hmm. I care a lot about helping other people and I'm still trying to figure out how I can help other people through running in a bigger way because it is a very selfish sport and I think that kind of makes it hard I think it definitely is part of my identity it is part of who I am but at the end of the day it's just running it's not my whole world you know yeah you said your faith and your relationships are the most important things to you yeah yeah just my faith and that Whenever my dad passed away, it wasn't like I needed to go run and just, I mean, running definitely helps with stress. I totally recommend it with <laughs> relieving stress or if you're going through something hard, I think it's definitely something good to do, but it's not like leaning on my family and my husband and my friends. Like that's what's going to get me through a really hard time not running. And, you know, if I get injured, I'm not going to go into deep depression because I can't run. I'm very, very thankful that I'm healthy and running. Running now, but it's just not my whole world. But definitely is very important to me. Yeah, and your dad passed away right before Olympic trials. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? Um, yeah, that was definitely hard. With it being so close to the trials, it definitely had an impact on my buildup leading up to the trials. And I kind of knew going to the race, you know, this isn't gonna go super well or go as well as I would like, but I'm just gonna do the best I can. And that's all I can do. And wanted to make him proud and just honor God with my running and honor him and he was such an inspiration to me because he was the most driven and hardworking person that I know and he was an orthodontist and he was like really goofy and um he sorry I don't know He just had like 
this obnoxious um, laugh. I'm sorry that I'm crying. I just okay. um, not only was he a hard worker, but he just loved everyone that he met, and he didn't care if you were poor, rich. You know, we live in a society that racism seems to be, you know, still an issue, and it never was like that. He just loved everybody, and he's just taught me so much about um, life in general, and I, I definitely miss him every day. He definitely played a big role into my running career. After college, my track senior season, when I didn't make it to nationals in the 10K, I told him that I wanted to quit running. And he definitely gave me some tough love and told me, you know, God made you to run. And it's a gift that he gave you. And, you know, don't take that for granted. So at a time when he definitely could have just had me on the back and said, you know, just do whatever makes you happy. He definitely gave me the tough love that I needed and I'm thankful for it on the road, just that I continued with it. And I'm thankful that he gave me that tough love that day and just has encouraged me my entire life and running and really in all aspects. Yeah. I'm sorry. Ah, that's okay. Your dad died in November uh-huh. and then your husband, Tyler, deployed yes, in, right. in January. He, yes. he got notified in December and got deployed in, right. in January and you had to run this important race. Right. And ironically, out of all places in your hometown mm-hmm. where you grew up. Yeah. What was that like? I think the hardest part was my husband not being there. And obviously it's... <laughs> We both signed up to, you know, serve our country in the Air Force and that's just, you know, duty called for him and he had to go and that was hard. But I think that I really believe even in the hardest of times that God is good and God is faithful. And I feel like you hear people say God is good after like something great happens, but even in the worst of times, he is good. And when my dad passed away, my husband was actually out in Colorado Springs for a TDY. And we had been geographically separated. He was stationed at Dias in Emily, Texas, and I was here training. And I just don't believe that it was a coincidence that we were together when my dad passed away because... Yes, I could have gotten through it alone, but Tyler's my best friend and just like a rock for me. And getting through that together was, that has made us grow stronger. And I think God's timing is perfect. That was really in his plan and just thankful that Tyler was able to be with me during that time and through the funeral and after. Super thankful for him. Yeah. Yeah. Was he there to watch you run? Tyler was there at the Chicago Marathon when I qualified. And he was there with my mom and my dad. And yeah, that was the last day that I saw my dad. So yeah, he was there for that. But 
he's deployed now, so he didn't get to be there for the Olympic trials, but it was really cool. I haven't gotten to post any pictures just because he's in an undisclosed location and I just want to protect him as much as I can. My mom had these sweatshirts made with my face on them and it says like, go USA, I'm back and super cute. (laughs) But him and all of his air crew got the sweatshirt. My mom sent them sweatshirts and they put them on and they're standing in front of the C-130 and it's it's such a cool picture. I haven't been able to share it yet, but when he comes back, I'll share it. Even thousands of miles away, he was super supportive. And I had a lot of friends at the race who were FaceTiming him and keeping him in the loop. And his leadership is incredible over where he is and let him have the day off to watch me. It was on NBC. He was still super supportive and just there for me, even though he wasn't actually physically there. Did you think about your dad or any other tough times in your life as you were running the race? What was going through I your did. head? You know, usually during races, I'm super focused and, you know, people ask all the time, like, what do you think about? Well, mm-hmm. when you're really, really focused, you're not thinking about anything, but mm-hmm. just the race yourself and like maybe tactical moves you're going to make or the fluids or your pace or always just something related to your race. You're not really focusing on the crowd or festivities that are going on or, but, you know, during this race, I definitely got choked up towards the end. Just thinking about him and I just felt like he was with me through the race and Yeah, I want to make him proud, and yeah, I I definitely almost started crying (laughs) towards the end, but so yeah, it was definitely emotional running back in the place where I grew up, you know, so many memories of him and I, just growing up with him and my siblings and my mom and grandparents and everything, but I was so thankful to have so many friends and family there supporting me. The Air Force Marathon team was there because they were running the Publix Marathon the next day. My engineering 101 teacher from, <laughs> from the academy <laughs> happened to be there, which I thought was super awesome. A bunch of old grads who were just in Georgia were there with signs. And my sister, who's almost 30 weeks pregnant, was like running all over the course, <laughs> taking pictures of me. And... <laughs> I was just, like, so grateful for all the support. And then my mom, like, right when I finished, she was volunteering at the finish line, and she was right there and just told me she loved me. And that was just incredible. And I'm just thankful that I was able to finish and just for the experience in general. And, yeah, it was definitely something I'll never forget. And I definitely have high hopes for 2024. When I hear you talk about your experience, you sound very just grounded and grateful. You sound like you feel loved. Yes, I definitely do. And my in-laws, I cannot ask for better in-laws because, you know, they're part of Tyler and they have just made me feel so loved too. And I went and spent a few days with them after the race. In Dallas, and 
<laughs> Tyler's mom just spoiled me so much and, you know, was making homemade cinnamon rolls. Like, who gets that? You know, I just, like, she's an incredible woman. And so is his dad and his two brothers. And just really thankful for the best in-laws and brother-in-laws. And um, even his extended, you know, just like aunts. He has so many aunts and uncles and cousins and I come from a big family but my cousins are a lot older and I just love his big family and a lot of them are in the Dallas area so I got to see them and they're just the sweetest people. I read in one of the articles you said that your dad when he drove you to practice mm -hmm. on Sundays yes he would tell you don't know specifically what he would tell you, but you talked about ways of handling pressure or competitors. Mm -hmm. Can you give me some examples? Yeah. I think for me, I get really down out about my competitors. Like certain girls, especially in high school, you're just, people tend to compare themselves to others. And that would be a negative social media. We're talking about a positive early on where it's just you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. And thankfully, social media wasn't that huge. I mean, I graduated high school in 2013. Instagram was around, but it wasn't like it is today. There was just one girl who actually is a really good friend of mine now. Her name's Grace Tinky. She was the fastest girl in Georgia when I was in high school. And we were the same age. And she was just like unstoppable and she was actually in my wedding because it's funny we were like frenemies in high school like we we're friends but like enemies too and and now we're just really good friends she's actually in the air force too does she know that you were frenemies because <laughs> yeah. she may hear this <laughs> she did because she would beat me but the time that i did beat her i think she had been injured or something she definitely knew we were friends Yeah, we're really good friends now, and she was my wedding, and my dad would say, only one school can have her. It's not like she can be recruited by all these great colleges and go to all of them. Like, she can only go to one. He was just basically telling me, like, you need to do what's best for yourself and always say, you're competing against yourself, and you're competing against the watch. Like, the watch is what you're competing against. It's the time. And he really harped on that. and. Almost to the point of like me being annoyed. But yeah, it definitely is true where you are your own worst critic and worst, best competitor. Because I think a lot of running is mental too. And I think people can get in their head. I mean, you have to have the training to race well, but I think you can push your body harder than you think you can. And I think once you kind of get the mental side down running becomes not easier but i think it takes you to the higher level do you have any specific suggestions or concrete examples that you use to help yourself get that mental game down maybe give me one or two examples what does it mean in practical terms i personally haven't seen a sports psychologist but if you look at alphine the woman who won the olympic trials She talks about talking to her sports psychologist, you know, the night before. So people who have success, I think you don't see the army of people who are behind them. And 
for me, like, I definitely am interested. I'm seeking out a sports psychologist, but I think for me, what really has helped me is listening to podcasts and listening to the experiences of elite runners in general, just like in the marathon. I remember before Chicago, I never run a marathon. So I searched, I think I listened to like every single podcast who had a guest of someone who qualified for the Olympic trials and just kind of learning from their mistakes and learning from what they did well, what they did poorly, what they ate for the race, what they ate during the race, what their preparation. And I know everyone is different, but I think you can still learn a lot from someone else's experience. And with my training and just trusting my coach and then listening to like all these different runners experiences and their mistakes and what they did right really really gave me confidence going in is there one or two things that you can point at that was really helpful well i had never run the marathon before chicago and i think it was important to respect the distance but just trust my training and then trust myself as far as running my own race and not getting caught up in what other runners are doing. And I think what really worked well with me was I kind of attached myself to this group of women in Chicago and just hung on to them. And, you know, it kind of took my mind off of the anxiety of thinking like, I've never even run 26 miles. How am I going to finish this? But like, it's been done so many times and I knew that I could do it. You just have to run within yourself and believe in yourself. And I think the hard work leading up to it definitely gives you the confidence and the drive. You know, the race is like almost like the easy part. And the training was monotonous, sometimes boring, sometimes not fun part where you're really just focused. And, and you're focused during the race too, but it does seem easier because there's a crowd. You know, you have adrenaline pumping and it was a world major marathon. so. Is definitely an exciting race. But I would say just running within myself and running my own race and working with other people throughout the race. And I think that was one of the things during the Olympic trials. One of my bottles, I went to go grab it off the table and I accidentally hit it. And so I went like rolling on the street. And I was kind of frustrated because like that was mile six. And you want to start early with nutrition, like during the marathon. And I was already depleted, you know, I needed <laughs> some energy and I just had to like, let it go. You know, it was gone. My bottle was gone. And this girl comes up behind me and she said, you know, like I saw what happened. I have electrolytes in this bottle. Like, do you want some of it? And I thought that was like, that was just so sweet. Like she, <laughs> she was running Olympic trials too. And she offered her electrolytes to me. And I love how the sport is. While it's like an individual sport, like I was saying earlier, the community has just grown so much and women are just working together better than ever. Some of the things that you actually describe, maybe you ingrained from early age, you know, when your dad said to you, don't compare yourself to anybody else, focus on yourself and the watch. And that's what you are still focusing on sounds like, mm -hmm. just focusing on yourself and not yeah. other people. Yeah, I think that's definitely true, that he helped ingrain that into my mind, just trying to 
not worry about what anyone else is doing in the race, but just control what I can control and do the best that I can on that day and get the best out of myself. Yeah. Do you remember your first run? I don't. I know that from a young age, my mom would run these races and have me in the stroller, but I would just want to get out and run. (laughs) And then I know for the Petrie Road Race, I was six years old, and I don't think six-year-olds are even allowed to run (laughs) these days. And they weren't back then either, but I think my older brother couldn't run for some reason, and I took his bib. And I just remember people looking, they weren't like looking down on me in a bad way, but they were just kind of like, what is this little girl (laughs) doing with this bit? Like, why is she running this race? Was it the 5K? No, it was the Petrie Road Race. It's a 10K. Okay. Yeah. And my coach in high school. Did you finish the 10K as a six-year-old? Yes. Wow. And then my coach in high school, he's 80 years old now. But he's run every single Petrie Road race that has been, I think it's 50. There's 50th anniversary was this past year. So he's a legend in Atlanta, too. He's such an inspiration to me as well. I'm thankful that I've had so many great coaches throughout the years. And When you are going through tough time, you already alluded to this, mm-hmm. but I wanted to ask a little bit more about your coping. So you said, you know, running isn't it because what if I get injured? I don't really rely on it solely. Right. It's a great stress reliever, but I recognize it's not all of who I am. Mm-hmm. And when you go through tough times, what helps you get through them? I would say praying. My faith is really important to me. My family, friends, my husband right now, we're just in some pretty crazy times, you know? And so it's definitely easy to get caught up, you know, like worry about him over there. But, you know, all I can do is pray for him and I can't, you know, I'm not in control of what it goes on over there. So I would say definitely my faith and just my family and relationships is what gets me through. But don't get me wrong, running helps a lot because it's just a stress reliever. It gives you endorphins and I definitely enjoy it. And I definitely, I'm always in a better mood after it. So I think it definitely makes me a better person, a better friend, wife, sister daughter, I think it makes me the best version of myself. Your coach, Lisa Rainsberger, who herself was a four times Olympic qualifier, told you, and then you said it in an earlier article, that you can do a lot with a little. I really love that. Can you expand on that? A lot of runners think I have to go run all these miles to train for a marathon or a race. Which, I mean, you do want to, you do want to have a higher volume of training when training for a marathon rather than 5k, of course. But I think a lot of runners, I think this happens more with elite runners than just recreational runners. They overdo it and they're a little bit overcooked going into big races, big marathons. And then it just turns out. They just don't run as well as they had hoped. And I think when you're undercooked a little bit, you're more fresh and you're just able to do more with 
little. And I think like you also stay injury free with less mileage. And I think it's the quality of the miles that you get in rather than the quantity. Mm-hmm. If you could run 150 miles a week at a eight minute pace and maybe not get injured, but I don't think you would get very fast doing that. I mean, you would get fit for sure, but you have to work on speed. I think that is what surprised me with Lisa is that I was working a lot on my speed for the marathon. And I think that got me really fit and really just ready to roll. I think the best training for the marathon is at least to have one really long run a week. And for me, that meant going 16 to 22 miles. So I think the long run is what gives you the most confidence because you're like, oh, well, I just ran, you know, two and a half hours and that's how long I'll be running the race. And I also ran it at altitude and the race will be at sea level. So I think the long run definitely gives you confidence, but all the other runs and workouts, it's not necessary to be running 150 miles a week. And I think you can do a lot with little and it's just, it's more about efficiency and quality of workout over quantity. Mm-hmm. And I also like the symbolic representation of that phrase, because I think that applies to a lot of aspects of our lives. You can do a lot. You can gain so much satisfaction or happiness in life with little. Oh, yes. I totally agree. I think it was it was one runner I was watching. Elliot Kipchoge, the man who ran under two hours the marathon. Recently, it was just this year, this past year. And I was watching a video and he trains in Kenya, I believe. And he was just talking about how the simple life, like even though he's this crazy runner who is only man to break two hours in the marathon, he says the secret is to live a simple life. Mm -hmm. And I think that holds so much truth because we're all so connected these days and materialistic, I feel like. And I think having less is definitely more. Yeah. Because I think it's a distraction when you have all these material things and, you know, those are great things, but I think it can be a huge distraction and just cloud your mind a little bit. And maybe we feel that if we need more, if we acquire more, you know, if we get more fancy snacks and gels for, you know, shoes and clothes, we get better, but maybe we don't. Maybe we over-rely on them. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that's a segue to my next question. So for those people who are non-runners and they listen to this podcast and everybody has to take fitness tests in the Air Force, so that mile and a half, who some people dread with all they have, what recommendations do you have? I'm actually coming up with a plan for Air Force people because part of my leadership, actually, I gave the tech sergeant who is part of Air Force Sports in charge of the program. And she asked me for a training plan. And I just love coaching people. And I think people get intimidated, like, oh, I don't want to run with you because you're too fast or something. And I hate that because I love running all different speeds. And I... (laughs) I just love like being with people and talking with people. And I mean, I hate running sometimes too. Like I don't love it all the time. I'm trying to find a way 
for Air Force members to enjoy the process more of, you know, and they don't have to become a runner, you know, so just maybe like a three-day week training plan leading up into their fitness, maybe like an eight-week plan. Because really consistency, if you want to become a better runner, you have to be consistent, and that's really with anything in life. But consistency is what is going to give you results. And I think with running, I would recommend just trying to find a friend or someone to go out and maybe, if you can, on your lunch break, running for just like 20 to 30 minutes, um, just easy run. Or, you know, maybe before work or after. I definitely recommend it because I think it can clear your head and just it'll put you in a better mood. And it might be really challenging at first if you haven't run in a while. But I say the first 10 minutes are the worst. And then once you get through the first 10 minutes, it's not as hard after that. So I think just getting into it, getting out the door, just lacing up your shoe, that's the hardest part. And then after that, I think many people will start to actually enjoy it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Most people who don't go past that five to 10 minutes, because it is a little bit tough, right? Your body needs to get warmed up. And so if that's the only experience they have, Mm -hmm. it's always a sense of, well, this is really tough and there is no joy in in running past that because why would I go any past 10 minutes? It's already pretty difficult, but it's for an Olympic qualifier who is a runner who tells you that it's tough for the first 10 minutes. It's true for everybody. It is true for everybody. Right, Yeah. yeah. Definitely agree. And outside of Air Force PT test, any words of wisdom, anything at all, any suggestions for service members who are going through tough times, you have gone, who's still going through a very difficult life situation? I think the best thing for me and for anyone would be, you know, I think a lot of people in the Air Force are just driven people in general they tend to be pretty independent and they want to work through things themselves. And I think that can be pretty unhealthy just because you can build up a lot of emotion. And even though you may not want to talk to anybody, I'm not saying you have to go find a therapist, but just a friend or a coworker or, you know, a parent or a sibling or, you know, anybody, the person at the grocery store, you know, like, just talk to somebody. I think it's hard when you go through things and you feel like you're alone, especially, you know, I know there's a lot of people who didn't grow up with dads and, or maybe they come from broken families. And I feel really blessed that I had a great dad, but I also feel pretty alone in that I'm 25 years old and he's gone. So I think that what has really helped me the most was this other girl who I actually went to high school with. Her father was killed a few years ago and she reached out to me. And I think that was the best thing that happened to me because I I just felt like I could relate to somebody and, you know, we could talk through things because, you know, I hear about people a lot older than me who like talk about their parents and like both their parents are living. And I'm just like, not envious, but just kind of like, oh, like, why can't my dad be here too? But I think just relating to others, anyone that loses a parent or loses someone, like, I'm definitely 
going to be sensitive to that and reach out because it, it definitely meant a lot to me. People reaching out and friends, you know, who would send flowers to the funeral home like that meant the world to me. And just being there for people and being there for Aaron that I lead and those above me as well. And yeah, I think people need each other. We definitely all need each other. And we're all going to go through hard times one way or another. It's just a matter of time. But I think it's just about leaning on one another and talking it through and being not afraid to go and talk to friends and just kind of hash things out and find a healthy way of coping. Yeah, it's all about connection, right? Like right. the reason that we're all here, we're all alive yeah. because we, we all are somehow connected. And you talk about two separate things. One is reaching out to others and then also being grateful for when mm -hmm. others do reach out and, and not being in your own shell, right. not, not being in isolation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is Lieutenant Lindy Jones from Colorado Springs. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. Thank you so much for having me. This is your host, Major Anya Fedotova. Thank you for listening to the Blue Grid Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview. My goal is to air the narratives of courage, vulnerability, and crit to normalize the airmen's own challenges and help them internalize the message of hope and recovery. This discussion is not a formal medical advice, and any techniques, treatment, diagnosis, or alternative actions discussed are not a recommended treatment or course of action for all listeners, and are not a replacement for professional medical assistance. You are encouraged to seek medical psychological help for your unique issue. If you have feedback, please find me in the global. My email is anavfedotova.mil at mail.mil. It's A-N-N-A dot V dot F-E-D-O-T-O-V-A dot mil at mail 